sometimes I don't know. I didn't know where I was going to sleep. I didn't know if I had a job. Um, I didn't know if I had friends. But I knew I'd done the right thing. I knew there was some my life had to be better. And that was up to me, up to me to do that. Welcome to a Woman's Blessing podcast. My name is Lynette Allen, and this show is dedicated to celebrating and honouring the strength and resilience of women the world over. My whole career has been dedicated to supporting women to rise in their lives, and what I've noticed over my 20 years or so in this work is that women are really tough. We are really resilient, and we are so, so brave. We develop courage on a soul level, when we find ourselves in our deepest, darkest hours and we pull ourselves through no matter what's going on. This show is about meeting the women who have done that. We'll be hearing their most personal stories of their darkest times to reveal how they got through, what they did exactly, how maybe somebody else gave them a hand up or a word just at the right moment. But this is about sharing the how in order to inspire you. And I'm really really pleased, I can't tell you, to introduce my guest for you today. I don't know how many years I've known this lady. How many years is it, Jerry? Help me out. A decade? Over a decade, I think. (laughs) So when I first met this lady, she was quite different to the lady she is now, I can tell you. I'm going to let her tell you her story. But about a decade ago, I had a coaching company where I trained people how to become professional coaches with my then business partner and beautiful friend, Meg Reed. And in walked a lady called Geraldine Steele. And I had no idea that she would become a friend for life. Uh, I had no idea that I would admire this woman so much or that I would become so close to her and have such an impact on her story. So I'm just really thrilled that you're here, Jerry. Hi, darling. How are I'm you? I'm good, thank you. I have a bit of a croaky voice, but hopefully it'll go through. But no, I'm I'm actually very good at the moment, and it's so good to speak. It's to lovely you. to have you on my show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It is good to talk to you because we don't speak very often now that I'm out of the yeah. UK. Mostly, you'll tell the listeners your story. You've got quite a dramatic story. Tell us where you were, maybe kind of 13 years ago. Tell us what was happening about that time. In November 2005, I walked away from my marriage. I'd been married nearly 35 years and I didn't realise during this marriage that I was actually suffering from uh, domestic abuse. It was done emotionally and on a regular basis. I, I put up with a lot, an awful lot, but I put up with it because I thought I, my family had a very good standard of living. My mum and dad had a good standard of living and both my boys had a good standard of living. And I knew that if I ever walked away, it would be absolutely catastrophic for all of them. I knew it would be very hard to do. I'd fantasised about doing it many times. Um, In 2005, my mum was dead, bless her, and both my boys had moved out of home. So one day I just woke up and because of an event that happened, I walked away. And I was terrified, absolutely terrified that he would find me because I knew that he would talk me back. So I went and I hid. I went to a friend's and I literally hid my car and I hid myself. And I was right. He bombarded me. Um, And so I'd done it. I I walked away and I realised that I was looking back. I was a very broken person. 
but bit by bit I've mended. Mm. But the bizarre thing is people didn't realise this was happening. People thought I was a very strong person. I was known as being a very strong person. I was, in fact, one of the first female bouncers in Essex. Um, I, along with my husband, ran a a pub and nightclub, and I was known as the dragon um, because I would take no nonsense. Not at all. I was very strong, very straight, and everybody thought of me as a very strong and straight lady. But behind closed doors, I was totally different. I was totally Mm. different. A look from him would completely Mm. just floor me. Um, Violence happened a few times. I used to say when I gave talks that he just hit me two or three times, and I think just is a dreadful word. Just should Mm. not be used. Just isn't a good word. So I do say he did. But it was what he'd done to me emotionally. I mean, psychologically, mm. he absolutely ripped me down mm. bit by bit. So I walked away, friends helped me, and I was broken, absolutely broken. But I got I got a grip, so to speak. It was hard. My goodness, it was hard. But I tried very, very hard to, to make a new life. And I did. And I, I started to do things. And then I walked in to your life coaching. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I just, I just walked in there a broken hmm. person and I, I felt loved, I think. I felt loved and I felt that I was somebody and I enjoyed it. I had my moments, as you know, Lynette, um, where I was literally rocking in the corner saying I couldn't mm. do it. You know, I was no good. And you, mm. bless your heart, you gave me all mm. the support and love and strength to do it um and I did I did I I qualified as a life coach and I'm very very proud of myself for that very proud and I think that was the beginning of my new journey um and I went on from strength to strength with that um I eventually I, I eventually ended up as a tutor of maths um and I I used to teach either yes younger people that were very difficult or I would teach older people that were having to do this because their job told mm-hmm. them so. So I, I, I because of my, my work, yeah. I knew how to um, diffuse situations. I knew how to calm people down. But I also had a lot of empathy for them because – I was that girl who had to leave school at 15 because my mum and dad said they needed my money as housekeeping. Um, I was that, I still am, I'm exam phobic. I go into exams mm-hmm. and my brain just leaves, just goes outside the door. So I have empathy on all levels. I've had, you know, grown up women crying, crying because mm-hmm. they, they can't do maths. They don't know how to do it. They've always been told they're stupid. And I say to them, you're not stupid, you know how to do it. And I teach maths in a very different way to most people. I teach it on a day-to-day basis. You know, I'd say to them, okay, so you think it's stupid at maths. If you went to the shop and brought some goods and you gave them a £20 note and they gave you change of 10, is that okay? And they go, no. And I go, well, that's maths. Mm-hmm. And so I try to break, mm. try to 
Um, yeah, I try to break these barriers down because what happens is they they've convinced themselves they can't do it. So yeah. I bring it down to that level and from that, I develop another way of doing it. And when I was working, I had a 98% success. So I'm really proud of that one. Very proud of it. Um, and, and, you know, and it's, and with the younger people, and these were, I don't know, 16, 17, 18, 19 year olds who would come in and all they'd want to do is look on their phones. They didn't want to interact. Uh, again, I would put it round to them, you know, if the girls were shopping in New Look and things mm. like that. I was working one day and one of my colleagues came and got me and said, would you come into my classroom? I said, of course I will. So I went in there and she introduced me. She said, this is Jerry Steele. She's one of our maths tutors and um, she has a good success rate. And uh, she's also a life coach and she's also a mentor. Um, so they're all looking at me. So she said, Jerry, would you tell them how many um, O levels have you got, A levels? What university did you go to? And I said, I haven't got one. I said, I haven't got an A level. I haven't got an O level. I've never <laughs> been to university. I've never been to college. And they just looked at me. And I looked at them and I said, yes, I was like you once. I had nothing to get. I had nothing to show because I had to leave school. I had to leave school. I said, and I've got where I am. I said oh, through shit. sheer determination because I wanted to get there. I said, and I took every opportunity I could have. I said, yes. And there are days when I was rocking in the corner. But then there were those days when I was really proud of myself. I said, and I'm proud of myself every day. Mm. I said, so you can do it. I'm so pleased to say that you're proud of yourself yeah. because you've been through so much. I'd like to wind back a little bit because when we tell stories about our pasts and the very difficult times, it's very easy to have a sweeping sentence like, and after 35 years, one day after an incident, I just decided that was it and I left my marriage and I was terrified. And how and what? How, where did you go? Like when you, you knew you were going to do that, what was, was it like a sudden split second, oh, no, I'm not doing this anymore. We're going and we're going now. Or did you think about it? Did you plan it? Like it was, I didn't think, right, tomorrow I'm going to leave it. I think what I'd done in my head, I'd been thinking about it for so long. He was a serial affairist. Um, if I tell you in our marriage that I know of, um, probably six or eight affairs, always with um, girls younger than myself. And whenever I found out, it was always my fault. Um, and oh. this particular time, uh, we had our own pub. And um, I'd. what happened was I was checking a, a phone bill because my son had said to me, you can get a better deal elsewhere. We had two phones at the time and his phone bill came in and I was just looking at it and there was a number on that. He'd been texting. He'd never messaged. He, I didn't know he knew how to text. This was in... 2005 so anyway I recognized the number and when I checked it on my phone sure enough it was one of my young barmaids she was 19 and he was 59 and um so mm. I thought right something going on here so I we had a pub that we could sleep in but I used to go home because we had a cat so anyway I went into work this particular Monday morning early up was seven and um, I checked his phone. It was on the side. No messages. But her phone, because she she had a room in our pub, her phone was on the settee and I opened it up and found texts to her from him, quite intimate texts. 
So I don't know. I closed the phone down, done what I had to do in the office, mm. put everything in my car. And I was working with this girl that morning, as I yeah. did every Monday morning. My barmaid came in, I made her a coffee. And then this girl came from downstairs, from upstairs. So I just looked at her and said, you're right. She went, oh, yes, I'm a bit tired. She said, I, I, I didn't sleep mm. very well. And I thought, yeah, I bet you didn't sleep very well. Anyway, long story short, went into the kitchen because I was chefing. And I looked at her and I said, um, can I borrow your phone? I said, my, my phone's gone dead. She went, yeah, she gave it to me. I got the text up and showed it to her. And I confronted her. I said, are you having an affair with my husband? She just shrugged her shoulders and went, yes. I went, right. How long has it been going on? She went, a while. I went, oh, right, okay. At that point, I took wow. my wedding ring off, my engagement <laughs> ring, my eternity ring, every bit of jewellery he'd given me, I took off and put it on the side. I got the pub keys, I put them on the side, and I went, see you, you can have these, these, and him. I'm off. Went out, got in my car, mm -hmm. drove away. That was it. I was done. That was the moment you left. You see, that's that's a really interesting uh, moment because I was told many years ago by somebody that um, everybody has a moment of clarity in their life resulting from a difficult situation where you don't plan it, you don't get up and know it's going to happen. But all of a sudden, one day, like that, something happens and you go, no, uh-uh, no more. And then a decision has been made from which you don't, wobble you don't um and ah yeah. you don't go Absolutely. oh my goodness what am no. I about to do it the decision is made and that's I know I've done that but you did that in that moment right and that wasn't planned so these these moments if they just Absolutely. come upon us and I mean I, I got into my car and I drove and all I had was what I stood up in I had nothing else all I had was what I stood up in and I rang a friend and um, I said, I told her what had happened, but she yeah. used to be uh, yeah. a police officer in domestic violence. So she said, not a problem. She put me in touch with somebody else. I drove for about two hours and um, and then I saw her overnight. And then I came back to a friend of mine, a very good friend. We've been friends since we were eight. And we hid my car in a barn and I hid in the house. And... That's what, that was on the Monday. On the Friday, I was at a solicitor's. At Friday, I was on the, at a solicitor's. Wow. Never forget it. Walked into the solicitor's. And I, every bit of clothing I had on yeah. was my friends, including boots. Everything was hers. So I, so I looked pretty good, to be fair. So I went in. I went in and I explained to the solicitor what happened. Oh, um, and I said, right. That's it. I've had enough. I said, all I want is what I do. I said, I want 50%. I said, yeah. I don't want 49. Equally, I don't want 51. I want 50%. And I'll never forget it. She looked at me and she said, all my years of dealing with divorces and, and especially this sort, I've never known anybody to be so focused and so determined about what they want. And I said to her, um, I think it's because it's been going on in my mind. I hadn't actually realised it, but it had been going on and on and on. And so she looked at me and she went to me, you're very brave. I said, I don't feel brave at this moment. And she said to me, yeah. but I do see a little bit of sadness behind the eyes. Am I right? And I said, yes, you are. 
And she said, what are you sad about? And I said, I'm sad I didn't do it 20 years earlier because I've wasted that time. So I think when I came through, call it the emotional fog, I think then I realised that life was for living. Yeah, I was yeah. 53 when I left him, 53. You see, and that's that's 53. Yeah. You've had your children. You've had 35 years of marriage. So, I mean, I left a marriage of 11 years and no children, and I didn't have anywhere near the experience you did. Yeah. Um, but even so... I had to leave my home and my set of friends and everything. I actually left the whole life. And you did that yes. too. And at first, you know, it was it was terrifying in a way, but it was also liberating. Um, and my, my female friends, have, most of them have said to me, you are so brave. I couldn't do that. And I say to them, I go, well, you don't know what my life was. You never walked in my shoes. You only saw what you saw, and he was very charming, very, very, very um, sociable to people, very charming to people, um, looked after people. It's just me. It was just me. Mm. He just didn't – I don't know. I don't know what it was. And and I said, but mm. what would you do if your marriage was that bad? Not necessarily like mine was because everybody's marriage is different. And you thought, oh, my God, I can't stand this. I've got to go. And I tell you, nearly every one of them said I wouldn't do it. And I went, why wouldn't you do it? And they went, I'm too scared or I, I couldn't live financially without it. But this is my point. You had a moment where scared wasn't even on oh. the agenda. You had made a decision Absolutely. really, really Absolutely. clearly. And, and that happens when a human being has reached their limit and you reach that limit. What I'd like to know from, from that moment on, because it clearly must have been terrifying, you didn't have anywhere to go, you went to a friend's house, but at some point there will have been a moment where you started to relax or feel relieved or feel like excitement. Can you remember a moment like that where you thought, um, oh, my actual God, <laughs> I did it, and I feel amazing. I Everything's think, going to be fine. I think that mo I think I had that moment when I walked away, if I'm honest, because I knew I knew it was going to be hard. I didn't know how I was going to get through it. I didn't know where I was going to sleep. Didn't know what I was going to do. But and although I was, I was, I remember talking to my friend on the okay. phone and crying, and her saying to me, "Calm down, calm down." And her words to me were, "It's a gift from God." I never forget that. And, and I was crying and I was upset. But I, I wasn't crying because I'd left the marriage. I was crying because I was happy, I think. It was a release. It was a release. And, and you know, and there's been many a time where I've, I've had some tears, but I've never regretted. From the day I walked yeah. away, I have never, ever regretted doing it. Sometimes I don't know. I didn't know where I was going to sleep. I didn't know if I had a job. Um, I didn't know if I had friends, but I knew I'd done the right thing. I knew there was some my life had to be better, and that was up to me, up to me to do that. And yeah, it took me a while, but I got there. And you know, I've popped out the other end of all this, um, mm. a different person. But it's not taken. It's not taken me, as you know. It's not taken me thirteen years. I popped out. I, I, I think I grew. 
And you've seen that photograph of me 13 years ago. Oh, gosh. And the ones of me Completely. now. And, um, and I, w- I do show them to people, and certainly if I'm talking to people about domestic abuse, and they just look at the photo and they look at me and they say, that can't be you. Yeah. And I say, well, that's, what, that's how downtrodden I was, if you like. That's what I was like. To give people some background, um, Jerry showed me a photo. I hadn't known her very long. And she, I think you took it out of your purse and you said, who do you think this is? And I looked at it like, I don't know. Is, is that you? Oh, and it is somebody who is, yes. um, who is yes. vacant, who your hair was just um, yeah. there. <laughs> it was just attached to your head. Um, you were grey in, in the skin. Yeah. You had no life in your eyes. I mean, really, this is quite a haunting picture. I am very proud of me. Um, and and my youngest son, bless him, he's 42, but my youngest son, not so long ago, um, just got hold of me and he went, Mum, I am so proud of you. I am so mm-hmm. proud of you. And for your own son, to, and he's a lad of very few words, um, it's lovely to hear. It's lovely to hear. Yes, I am proud of me. Where where I was, what I've gone through, because I've had a lot, as you know, I've had a lot of other ups and downs on the way. Um, you know, just very quickly, my son of 36 mm-hmm. had a stroke and he was with a fire service and he had a stroke and he now has lots of um, medical conditions mm-hmm. and he's also got mental health problems, so I help him. You know, there's um, there's been lots of things in my life yeah. happen along the way. But I've got through it. Sometimes it's been with lead boots, but I have good friends like you, Lynette. I know I can ring you any time and just say, this is going in in my life. And I just put it out there and then it's gone. Um, yeah. I think the thing that I notice about you, Jerry, from knowing you a, a decade or so, is that you are so willing to help somebody. And I've, I don't know if you would credit that as being part of your recovery for yourself but you are always willing to talk to somebody or help somebody up or to explain something to somebody or to give someone I think encouragement right. I think you're right I've always been a carer whatever whatever that means however that looks and I think more so when I see people that are struggling through hard times as I say if they can't get their maths or, you know, if they just can't get something to work. And I always say to them, look, it's baby steps, you know. It's baby steps. You can do it. And, like, with my teaching, I would say to them at the end of the lesson, you have learned something. You're further now than you were when you started. It's baby steps. I like to encourage people. I like to I like to see people grow. I suppose like you've seen me grow. I like to see people grow. And it's, I get a great deal of pleasure when I see these poor people, you know, crying, I can't do this, to their smiling. And I make them laugh and I make my lessons very easy. Mm. I've moved on from that now and now I help. I'm a volunteer in a women's refuge and I absolutely love it. See that, that just fills me with joy because for you to to do that job and to go in every day and talk to women who are where you were that's an amazing thing what do you tell them now about how you did it what I because they're very 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 damaged ladies 
but they're lost and again they're broken and it's um they have a very long road ahead of them but i'll drop little little bits into them um i was there yesterday and one of the younger girls she was having a bit of a a bit of a moment and um she was getting really upset so i said to her look many years ago when i left my husband i said and i was getting upset i said um Somebody once gave me a very good bit of advice. I said, no, I'm going to say it to you. I'm not going to tell you what you told me. I'll say it to you. So she went, go on then. I went, okay. This person that you're angry with, if you had a house, would you rent them a room? She went, no, I wouldn't. I went, well, don't rent them a room in your head. And she went, high five to that. I'll keep that one. She said, I like that. And it clicked. It clicked with her. So she, yeah, I said to her, stop using your energy up on somebody you don't even want to talk to. <laughs> what is the point of that? And she just looked at me. She, she said, oh, give you a hug. They always give me a hug. Mm-hmm. Give me a hug. And she went to me, thanks for that. I'm going to take that. I'm going out. Lovely. Off you go. See, you're so straight talking mm. as well. And, you're, and you've really helped me in that way. You know, I remember um, when Livy was seven years ago. Livy was a newborn. Uh, I think you phoned me. Uh, you were close to my house. Yeah, I think I just knocked on the door. Oh, I just thought one day I'm going to go and see her. And I just knocked on the door and you just stood there looking at me. It's enough to say, who are you? What are you doing here? Yeah. Well, there I am. I I haven't slept. Yeah. I, I'm in my dressing right. gown still. And Livy would yeah. not stop crying. I couldn't get her to sleep. And it's your energy, I think, that helps other people. But I'm sure it must have helped you because... You walk, You pushed past me almost. You went, don't worry, I've got this. Come with me. And you went straight up yeah. to my bedroom where you followed the noise of a crying baby. Yeah. You got a, a muslin. You wrapped her in it. You showed me how to wrap her up tight. And you picked her up and she yeah. stopped crying. She hadn't stopped crying for hours and hours. And you just have a way, an assertiveness about you that yeah. says, don't worry, I'm in charge and we're going to fix this. And I, I don't know what I did after that other than hug you and go, oh, my God. I think you had a sleep. My baby stopped crying. I think crying. I said, right, go to bed. I'll just sit out here. I sat on the landing so I wasn't far from you on in a chair. Yeah, just, I remember yeah, now. Just I remember. Gently rocking her. And I said to you, just go there, leave the door open. You can see us. And, oh. and you just drifted off. You just drifted off. As did the baby. Did and I had been your... I'd been your teacher and your mentor, yep. and then I'd had this baby, and then you knocked on my door, and I'm like, Jerry, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> now, do you think that that, again, is a part of you that says, don't worry, I've got this, I'm in charge, yeah. and you pull it from yeah. somewhere, and you pull it from somewhere for your own life yeah. as well. You do it for other people, but this is my point. You do it for yourself. I do. And I have no idea where it comes from. I, you know, it's not as if I get a feeling and think, right, that's it. It just happens. It just happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it a very natural thing to do. And as I, I always used to say on CVs, that I can communicate with all people on all levels. Obviously, having having run pubs and nightclubs, you know, I would be basically like a fishwife on a Saturday night. And on Monday, I'd be suited and booted and yeah. I'd be giving a talk about drugs. So... You said about straight talking. Girls in the refuge say to me, oh, we love you. You just say how it is. And I do. I talk to them the way they perform. We've got one lady who can be particularly difficult. And I just say to her, 
just wind your neck in, behave yourself, take a breath, and she, she'll come back five minutes later and go, thanks for that, I love you because you tell me what to do. But I'm doing it, I'm not doing it to be horrible, I'm doing it to help her. No. So you have to read any situation that comes along. And I said the other day to, to somebody, uh, our CEO, and I said, oh, I'm used to, I'm, I am used to thinking on my feet because you never know what's going to happen. I'm used to that. And she said to me, yes, and it shows. So it's obviously something I, naturally I have. And this is the interesting thing about women in abusive relationships like you were, because from the outside in, nobody would have guessed, right? No. And that's the danger of this because they're hidden and they can't tell anybody yes. because they have a reputation. And I guess some people no. wouldn't even believe them no. anyway. So what would you say? What do you say to these girls? And what would you say to somebody who might be listening to this now, who's somewhere in their stomach thinking, yeah. she's talking about me. This is, this is my life. And I don't know if I've got the courage to do what she did. What would you say? I would say we all have courage. You have courage. Um, and you must be true to yourself. The one thing I wasn't for many, many years was I wasn't true to myself. I have an expression that I've done that, but I didn't turn into a frog. And I didn't. I actually turned into a swan. It's not easy. You're not just going to walk away and everything's going to be lovely. Think about yourself. And that's what I didn't do for years and years and years. You can do it. Whatever that looks like to you, you can do it. But remember that you must love yourself. I didn't even like myself. Well, that photo shows that. You know, I, I remember one, I think it was one bank holiday Sunday. I'd been working all day. I was out on my feet and I'd gone home. I'd done like an 18-hour day. I'd gone home. I'd had a bath and I got into my bed. And I remember punching my breast, begging God to give me breast cancer so I could get away from this pain. Now, that is, when you, I think of my friends with breast cancer, that is absolutely bloody awful. But that's mm. how low I got. And I think I think that was the August as I left in the November. So I still carried on. But somewhere, mm. somehow, it comes. It comes sometimes, as you said, it comes from nowhere. But we can all do it. And yeah, you can learn, you can you can become the person you deserve to be. And that is the true you. You know, I always say financially, I committed suicide, but emotionally. I won the lottery. And I think, Pete, I can't explain it any more than that, how good I feel now and how good I look, to be fair. And, yeah, inside and out. Well, I can vouch for that. Thank you. <laughs> you look damn good. <coughs> you really do. So I think out of everything that we've talked about so far, there is an element of in the moment, Yeah, this is not going any further, we're done. Yes. And then a determination that saw you through, a straight-talking element to you that just says, I'm not taking this anymore, yeah. which is the Jerry that everybody else saw in the first place, but you applied it to your own life. And then to rebuild yourself from your career, the girl that left school without any A-levels, without any GCSEs or O-levels as they would have been then, what was the first thing you did to rebuild your career? I, I had to completely reinvent myself completely 
because I'd been in the pub trade for 35 years. So I had to completely... And you had to start from scratch completely. And how did you do that? What was the first thing you did? First thing I did was I worked in a call centre, um, but not for very long because I used to get bored. Um, and I'd walk around while I was yeah while I was talking. I was told I couldn't walk around while I was on the phone, and I said, "Why not?" I said, "They can't see me," and so I didn't I didn't last there very long. Um, and then I got a job as an MVQ assessor, trained as an MVQ assessor, and again that started me off on that. But previous to that, I'd started life coaching with you. And what made you do that? I tell you why. My son, my young, my youngest son, who's so he's very proud of me. Um, I was living with him at the time, and because I lived with him for about a year, and he came home from work and he said to me, "Mum, I've had a life coaching session today." I went, "Really?" So he suggested it really good. I said, "Oh, what was it like?" And he told me. I said, "Well, that sounds interesting." He looked me straight in the eyes and he went, "Mum, you'd make a bloody good life coach." So I researched it. I researched what being a life coach meant because a lot of people think you're a counsellor and you're not a counsellor, you're yeah. nothing like a counsellor. So I researched it and I, and the more I read about it, the more I thought, this has got my, num- my, my name on this for sure. So I researched it and I researched it and then I researched courses and I went into Hall Farm at Dedham with my friend. She was in there buying eggs or something. So I'm just looking around and there on the back of the door was a leaflet for a life coaching course. And I rang up, didn't know where it was, hadn't got a clue, didn't say where it was, just said that there was a life coaching course. And I rang up and found out it was in Harwich. And I was like, that was yes. my course. And that was the beginning. Yeah, and that wow. was the beginning. That was the beginning of it. Again, right. Right place, right time. Oh, but you know what it's not though, is it? I mean, I just think it's law of attraction. I think when we start finding inspiration so this is where I, I I think it all starts from when when you're off on a topic because somebody says about life coaching and then you say oh what's that and they explain it to you and you think oh that's really got me yeah. interested so you start researching it on your own yeah. and you're like oh that's the more you read the more you like the more you read the more you like and then wham you, you happen to bump yeah. into that had you not had that conversation yeah. with your son or done your own research that leaflet would have meant nothing to you and you'd have walked straight past that but it jumped out at you absolutely because you were excited because you had an energy about you that said wow that sounds really interesting and then you walked in my door and (laughs) and that was it that was the start of our friendship I do think you made a big impact on me Lynette I really do your support and your love and your guidance just helped me along the way when I was having bad times and I did have bad times mm. as you know I don't know what week it was it's, week four it's when I was always weekend off. three I can't do it's this. always weekend three yeah three so we got to yeah. say that it was a five week course we ran well a five time course five weekends over yeah. five months with homework in between yeah and myself and yes. Meg started to realize as the company gathered speed and we did this again and again and again that weekend three people would hit the deck it was always weekend three. And I and yeah. you came in and you had your meltdown, which she really did have a meltdown. And I took her to yes. one side and I said, I'm not surprised, darling, it's weekend three. And you're like, what? In fact, we started to warn people about weekend three. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. weekend one, you're so excited by it, you can't do anything wrong. Weekend two, you think, oh, okay, so I can't quite get my head around this, but don't worry, I'll sort it out. By weekend three, you're like, 
no, I can't do this. This is not for me. And that's yes. where, where I met you at that juncture. Yes. So how was that? Because you were training to do something. I mean, coaching and, and the methodology around coaching, you have to switch your, your communication methods around a whole 180 to yes. what we have always been taught. Yes. So it's, it's kind of getting everything you know, screwing it up and putting it in the bin and starting again. And that was really yes. difficult for you. Tell me how that was and, and how you nearly gave up because you didn't give up. We know that, but you could have done. Yeah. Um, I think I remember thinking, because we used to sit and talk on the table, and I remember thinking, I can't do what they're doing. And this is where my lack of self-belief was. And it was, I can't do this. I'm not as good as she is, or I'm not as good as she is. Um, I haven't done as much as she's done. So I'm not able to do this. I'm not good enough to do it. I shouldn't be in the same room as these people because I'm not good enough. That was my self-destruct, no belief. Mm. So rather than fail, I'm going to crash and burn. I'll crash and burn week three, then I won't get to week five and I'll fail. But that was better than actually failing. Yes. Yeah. Than actually failing. I don't think I could have taken another fail. I think if I think about it, because I was, you know, I was getting, slowly getting better, slowly mending, a bit like a jigsaw, you've dropped on the floor, slowly mending, my bits were going in bit by bit, and I thought, I can't do this, I can't, um, I can't do this, I don't understand it, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm not doing it right, I'm not as good as anybody else. And I also remember, at that time, you you were very upset, because you'd just been diagnosed with celiacs. Yes, so that was a massive yes. life shift for you as well. Your health and yes. your diet had to completely change. Yes. I was telling you your communication skills had to completely change. Yes. So it was so much and you'd been through so much already. Yes. So what got you through that? Because you've adjusted perfectly well to being celiacs now and you know exactly what to eat and Absolutely you're fine. fine. Yeah, don't even think about that most days. Um, and your coaching has gone way beyond anything any of us thought because you use it in so many different yes, ways. That's right. So what got you through that difficult time? I don't know. I think I think looking back, I couldn't have got any lower than I did that weekend three. I don't think so. As you say, you took me to one side and you, you talked me through it and, uh, you know, and said, you can, what, what is all this about? You can do this, you can do this. And I think... I think I said, look, I'm going to walk away. And you said, no, don't, don't. Just give it another give it another week, you know, do what you can. Do it, don't put yourself under any pressure. Do what you can. You can do this. You will do this. And you're very good at doing this. You have empathy. You have this and you have that. And I think nobody had ever sat me down and said that to me. Nobody had ever taken the time and gone to me, why do you feel like this? Yes, you can. Do it slowly and you can do it. And I think I went home that weekend and I did do some work. and I, Obviously, I did. And when I came back the next time, I remember I felt a different shift in me. I felt more confident. Mm. I felt more decisive. And I thought, what are you getting upset for? You've, I've, faced, I've faced far worse than this. Why are you doing this? Mm. And it, I think it was like a little bit of a self-destruct button. As I say, mm. if I crash and burn on week three, I crash and burn on week three and I could say it wasn't for me. My fear was failure, I think. My fear was failure. Failure to other people, yeah. but failure to me. Failure mm. to me. And f from somewhere, as I say, I don't know where it came from, I came back. I came back and I loved it. I loved it. And what I've gained from that 
it's immense. You can't, I can't really put it into words. I, I, re, I really can't. But it was just, yeah, you say something switches in you. I think that was a confidence switch in me that said you can do this. And more to the point, why are you getting upset about it? What, what, what are you going to do? You're not going to fail. I just think it goes to show how deep the things that people say oh, to us through yes. our lives, when we have people who are not on our side, how deep those messages of inadequacy oh. go and how we reach for them so very damn quickly when, when yes. things get tough and there has to be a bigger, stronger voice that comes in that says, hang on a minute, yes. stop, stop that yes. talk. This is different, and I'm yep. going to do this. And, and I think you're right, and I've, I've come across it. I mean, I, I left my husband in the November, and I was a smoker. And in the March, I'll never forget about it, um, and I was living with my son then, and he didn't smoke. So I used to smoke out in the garden. And if I tell you, I was on 50 cigarettes a day. Um, I spent a lot of time in the garden. Oh and But I, <laughs> I used to cough. And I'll never forget it. I'd been out and had a cigarette and I, came, and I had this smoker's cough. There's no doubt about it. It was a smoker's cough. Um, I'd got down to eight stone mm-hmm. at this point and I got a smoker's cough. I'll never forget it. I sat at a table and there was a big mirror to my left. And as I looked in the mirror, it was my mum looking back at me because my mum died of emphysema. It was my mum looking back at me. And I looked and I thought, wow. and my mum had been dead at that point, I think four years. And, and I stood up, and I'll never forget it, and I went, this has got to stop. I've left him. And, of course, he was giving me a lot of grief. And he still, he's still in my head. He's still controlling me because he'd get on the phone and, and I'd smoke one cigarette after the other. And I thought, no more. So I walked to the chemist, put a patch on, and I've never smoked a cigarette since. No way. Enough. See, this is the thing. You didn't no. know that was your last cigarette. You didn't know you were going to make the choice. Yeah. I love stories like this because it's yeah. sheer determination and moments of clarity and this is the depths I think that women have in them the gravitas that says one moment no No. way we're not doing this anymore and I I so applaud that Jerry I I cannot tell you how much so amazing you know that's I never thought I'd give up smoking never in a million years but enough he was still controlling me from a from afar because he would ring me up or I'd get solicitor's letters mm. and I'd get so angry and upset and I'd smoke and I'd smoke and I'd smoke and then I'd develop this really bad smoker's cough and I thought, no, I'm not having it. No more. I'm not having you controlling me. And that was it. I've never smoked since and that was 13 years ago. Jerry, we're going to take some time to, to wrap up over the next few minutes. But any advice you have to somebody who really does not know what they are doing in their life right now and who does not have any confidence, someone that's not sure whether to turn left or right or is worried about their future, what would you say to them? I'd say be true to yourself. Try and try and think about what you want. What do you want for you? And something that you once said, Lynette, and that's think about you're an old lady. 90 years of age in a rocking chair. What would you want to look back and think you'd done for your younger self? Because it's about you. I realised it's not about anybody else. It's what's best for you. Whatever that is, however you can do it, you can do it. Draw down some strength. It's there. We all have it. 
women have it in our feet sometimes. We have to, it's a long way to draw it up. Be kind to yourself. And most of all, respect and love yourself. Jerry, that's just the best advice to end on. I can't thank you enough for talking to me and for being prepared to talk about some really difficult times and inspire somebody because you will inspire somebody who listens to this show. And I really thank you, darling. I hope so. I hope so. Thank you. If you have a story of courage and bravery where you had to dig deep into your resilience, just like Jerry did, I'd really love to hear. When women stand up and tell their stories, they give hope and inspiration to those who are struggling right now in this moment. And we need a ton of strength sisters, women that we know and women that we don't know, to be held by and to be heard by and to be inspired by. When women celebrate their own courage and honour their stories truly from the bottom of their heart, we give permission to others to do the same. Dig deeper into your own self-discovery, check out our hideaway retreats, secret coaching calls and divine rituals to get you back on the road to your highest life purpose at www.awomansblessing.com. From Jerry and I, thank you so much and have a really beautiful rest of your day.